this new tabernacle, David's tabernacle, is going to be restored. And it will give birth to a great anointing and rejoicing of the Holy Spirit. And they'll be dancing in loud-sounding instruments. Thank you for joining us today with Pastor Scott Huffman from Lighthouse Church. This week's Sunday's message is David's Tabernacle of Praise. This is the season for praise and worship unto the Lord. For the Bible says in Isaiah 61.3, The garment of praise will release the spirit of heaviness. Watch and be a part of the broadcast live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy. What was the tabernacle in the Old Testament? Good question, huh? It was the central place of gathering for worship and praise unto the Lord. The tabernacle, which was literally a portable tent that they moved around and reset up every time they moved, was the place God dwelled on the earth behind the inner veil above the mercy seat between the two cherubim. What are cherubim? Angels. Angels we have heard on high. Uh, These two cherubim faced each other, and the Lord dwelled between the two cherubim above the mercy seat where the blood was placed for the covering of the sins in the Old Testament. Of course, we know in the New Covenant, Christ has removed our sins eternally forever to be remembered no more. Essentially, the Lord had been segregated to one location from his people because of their sin. The sin had separated the people from their God. So the fundamental purpose of the tabernacle was to come near to God to worship and praise him. Just as the wise men said at Jesus' birth, we have what? We have come to worship him. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Worship and praise is the central core of Christianity. Worship will change your life forever. But Jesus said we must worship in the spirit and in truth. I remember one time I asked a pastor, what does that mean? And he said, I don't know, but it sounds very interesting. And at the time I was only in high school, I'd just become a believer on a balmy night in Palm Springs, uh, California, age 14. I received Christ into my life. And I was hungry for God, hungry to grow in the things of God. But I didn't understand how to worship in the Spirit. Well, since I've grown a little bit since those days, I understand how to worship in the Spirit. We are spiritual beings, and we are joined to the Lord as one Spirit. And as we worship out of our spirits, we connect with God. And as we connect with God, we experience His joy, His peace, His power, and praise in our life. Hallelujah. (laughs) Perhaps the greatest worshiper of the Lord in the Bible was David. A man after God's own heart. He's the only one that has that title in the Bible. What made David deserve that title? God's heart was exemplified in David, the one who fully followed the Lord and desired him more than anything else in his life. Let's look at Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Then I shall come and appear before God. You know, there's nothing like water to quench your thirst. We used to backpack in the old days, and uh, we'd go high up in the Sierras with just uh, our whole life's belongings on our back. That's why they call it backpacking. (laughs) And uh, we'd get into these glacier lakes and uh, enjoy fishing and enjoying the outdoors. But as we were traveling, we'd get extremely thirsty. And you know, when you're really thirsty, there's only one thing that can quench your thirst, and what is that? Water. Water. (laughs) Wawa. H2O. Two of hydrogen. One of oxygen. Chemically combined. (laughs) And as you would sip that sweet water from the stream, uh, that would quench your thirst. David prayed the same prayer. As the deer pants after the river brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. By the way, I wouldn't recommend drinking out of a a stream these days. 
Uh, there's Giardia, which is a uh, bacterial thing that can mess you up. So, uh, you know, purify the water first. <laughs> but in the old days, we were able to get away with it. God was David's passion, his desire, and his glory. He was consumed in knowing, worshiping, and experiencing God in his life. Do you have the same desire? Or are you conflicted by the temptations of this world that try to lure you away from a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus? You know, we're in a battle, a spiritual battle, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers in high places, in dark places. There's been no other person in the Bible like David. He is mentioned more than anyone else in the scriptures except for Jesus. <laughs> the story of David begins in Bethlehem, O oh, little town of Bethlehem. The same town where Jesus was born. Let's look at Micah 5.2, a prophetic scripture about Christ. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. A ruler will come out of this little town, this little obscure town called Bethlehem. You know, when we were in Israel a few years ago, we wanted to go to Bethlehem, and we were all ready to go. <laughs> The Huffman family was all packed up in our little car and away we were going to go. And then we realized you can't drive into the West Bank. And uh, so we didn't go. <laughs> Later, a taxi driver, he was Palestinian, told me I could have taken you to Bethlehem uh, via taxi. But we are going to go back or we're going to go back to Israel and we're going to go visit the town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, and so was David. And he was raised in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd as a young boy and a teenager watching the sheep for his father out in the fields of Bethlehem. He showed his warrior abilities as he defends the innocent sheep by protecting them. He once killed a lion and he also killed a bear with his bare hands to protect a little ewe lamb who had been taken captive by the lion. Is that amazing? Mm -hmm. By the way, I heard, you say, I don't know if I believe you could take down a lion or a bear with your hands. There was a story of a guy out cross-country uh, running and he encountered a lion and he killed him with his bare hands. So, yes, it is capable, but you have to be a very strong individual. I remember when we saw David in Florence, the statue of David. Um, Michelangelo depicted his musculature and, its, and how strong he was, and his hands were incredibly strong. This young kid was a strong person, strong warrior for God. God wants us to be warriors in the spirit, by the way. So David was being trained and prepared for service as a leader and ruler who would one day become Israel's greatest king ever. He would faithfully shepherd his people. Let's look at Second Samuel 7 and 8. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. You know, many times in life we're being prepared for things that are to come. Without proper preparation, there'll be no proper performance. I got a word from God about my ministry years ago about that. God prepares us, and sometimes he does it by putting us in hard places and difficult places. We went through fire, we went through the flood, but at the end we came out into a great fulfillment. So God uses the difficulties of life to refine us. It's, we, it's called the refiner's fire. And, you know, coal has to be put under tremendous pressure for it to turn into what? Diamonds. Diamonds, <laughs> Diamonds are forever. I guess that was a movie. Um, and so, you know, grapes must be crushed to produce uh, wine and so forth. And so many times we are under pressure in our lives and God is using the tribulations and trials of life to produce patience. And in that patience, he produces an endurance. And in that endurance, he produces perfection or maturity in our lives. Praise God. Well, 
David's tabernacle of praise began with his transporting or moving the Ark of the Covenant, that most precious article. The very presence of God was manifested, as we mentioned, over the Ark of the Covenant between the two cherubim above the mercy seat. And there the Shekinah glory, the very manifest presence of God, presence of God was, was uh, revealed. So David had this idea, let's move the Ark to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is the city of God, Mount Zion. And so he was all excited. And he thought, hey, let's just take, take this baby and let's put it on a new cart and we'll roll it in. It'll go a lot faster. And let's read the story in 2 Samuel 6.3. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Ezra and Ohio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart they carried the Ark of the, that carried the Ark of God. You know, it's interesting. They were on a hill. And they were using a cart. Um, and, you know, um, I've been in a few precarious situations where one time I was in near Flagstaff, Arizona, going to school, college. And uh, we were in a Jeep. The Jeep broke down. And it had to be towed. And we decided we would tow it with a, a rope, which was not very smart. And so one car was pulling the Jeep, and I was in the Jeep driving, and there was a girl next to me in the passenger seat. And I told him. You know, now take it easy, because if we get going too fast, this could be really dangerous. And ideally, the person in the back should do the braking, not the person in the front. But we ignorantly didn't understand that, or they didn't. And the person in the front was braking. We're going about 50 miles an hour down a hill uh, in the mountains. And it became very scary at the point where we thought we might flip the Jeep. And I was screaming out the window to tell them to stop. Finally, we stopped by the grace of God, and we were okay. But here's this cart rolling down a hill, right? And something happens to that cart. Let's read 5-7. David and all of the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all the kinds of musical instruments, the lyres, the harps, tambourines, cascanets, and cymbals. So David's all whooped up, man. He's excited. He's praising the Lord. He's all full of the Spirit, and he's taking the ark to Jerusalem. But he's making a mistake, and we'll see. Go ahead, Christy. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nikon, the oxen stumbled, and Ezra reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Ezra, and God struck him dead because of this. So Ezra Boy. died right there beside the ark of the wow. ark of God. So Ezra reached out to steady the cart because the oxen stumbled, and you're not supposed to touch the ark of the covenant. That's holy, right? And once he touched it, God struck him dead. And what did Abraham, what did David do? He was very upset at the Lord. And he was afraid of the Lord, the Bible says, that day. And he didn't know what to do. So he said, you know what? There's this dude over here. His name's Obed-Edom. Let's just tuck the ark over into his house because I don't know what to do. And I'm freaking out and I'm mad a little bit at the Lord. Sometimes we do kind of get mad at God, don't we? He understands that. But it's usually our boo-boo, not his, right? And uh, we've got to get it right before the Lord. David had to get it right before the Lord. So he puts the ark in Obed-Edom's house. And what happens to the house of Obed-Edom? He gets greatly blessed of God. Uh, is there a verse there we have for that? Um, okay. The ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom's yes. house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. For three months, this dude was so blessed uh, the people are going, guy, where'd you get that new car? Where'd you get those nice duds? What's going on with you, man? Your life is wonderful. You got a great family life going. You're blessed. Everybody can tell it. It's so obvious, the blessing of God. Why? Because the ark sat in the corner of his living room 
under a tarp. <laughs> and that ark was no just ordinary gold box, but it was that place where God dwelled, mm -hmm. the presence of God. Let God dwell in your house, and you'll be blessed. Let God dwell in your heart, and you'll be blessed. You know, it's Christmas season now. It's the time to rejoice, right? And um, a great joy will be to all people because of the birth of Christ. And I was thinking there's no holiday that has touched the world greater than the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Think about that. It's touched the entire world because of the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. Praise God. So the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So the ark was correctly transported after that point to, the, to Jerusalem on the shoulders of the priest, which David should have done in the first, in the beginning. And once he made his adjustment, sometimes we have to make an adjustment in our life. We have to make a change in our life. Once he made that change, everything was great. And they transported the ark on the shoulders of the priests into the city of Jerusalem, praising and worshiping God. Hallelujah. And as they entered in, Michael, that's David's wives, one of his wives, who happened to be Saul's daughter, a very beautiful woman. She looked out the window and there was David dancing before the Lord. That's one thing that was unique about David. He danced before God. And uh, actually what he really did was twirled around and around. That's kind of how the Bible describes what he was doing. And the joy of the Lord was so powerfully upon him, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was resting on him. And he was worshiping under the unction of the Spirit and dancing before the Lord. Well, she looked down and he was in his ephod, which is his undergarments, and uh, his royal pajamas, if you will. And she said, oh, David, when he came in, you made a fool of me today and yourself. You danced before all the young maidens in your ephod. And you have made a fool of us and brought shame upon us. And God was not happy with that, guys. The Lord was pleased with David's dancing, but not pleased with Michael's interpretation of that. And the Lord closed her womb, sadly. Well, so what we have here is the tabernacle was set under a tent or a makeshift shelter, if you will, in Jerusalem erected by King David. Let's read Second Samuel. 617. All right. So they brought the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. You know, the Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So many times we're so impressed by outward appearance. Oh, she's so beautiful. He's so handsome. That structure is so beautiful. Those clothes are so out of sight. Awesome. You know, and we're so enamored with the things, the outward appearance of things. This temple, this tabernacle, was nothing great. It was like a tent. We've all seen a, a, a tent that's used for camping. That's basically what the tabernacle was in the beginning. In Jerusalem, though, it was in the city of God. And there, the, the Ark of the Covenant was under that shelter, that tent. And boy, were things happening. So David's tabernacle was less outward appearance and more inward reality. Think about that. Much like the church today, sadly, there's too much outward and not enough inward. And we need to put our attention upon the inward person, the inner man, and our relationship with the Lord and not so be concerned about the outward. What is impressive to man is inimpressive to God. And what is impressive to God many times is inimpressive to men. You see, and uh, we need the heart of God to see the way God sees things. He loved David's temple. It was a temple of praise and joy and blessing. Hallelujah. It was a good place for the Lord to reside. 
Hallelujah. You know, David's temple would not have gained much attention uh, today from uh, uh, a human perspective. People would have walked right by the tent and thought, eh, just a tent. But they didn't know what was under the tent and who was in the tent. Hallelujah. Now, if you're acquainted with God's presence and you understand the anointing of God, you'd know about that tent and you'd understand that as you walk by that tent, you're walking by the very power and presence of God. And it brought great attraction and favor and a favorability to the people who desired it. God's going to bring great attraction and favorability once again to the world through his uh, the, through the presence of the Holy Spirit coming very soon upon the church of Jesus Christ. Then later, desire, uh, David, excuse me, desired to build God a house. You know, he wanted a permanent home for the Lord to dwell in. That sounds like an honorable desire. David lived in a palatial house of beautiful cedar from, built from the trees of Lebanon. He told the prophet Nathan he would build the Lord a home. And uh, Nathan said, go do it. All that's in your heart, go build that house for God. And the Lord woke up Nathan in the, in the night and said, Nathan, go tell David he can't build me a house. You see, you got to hear the word of the Lord. You might have a good idea, but you better make sure it's coming from God, right? And so he said, you know what, David, you have a good attitude, a good heart, but you can't build me a house, says the Lord. And, uh, but he said, God said, I'll build David a house, a royal house of an everlasting kingdom. Isn't that awesome? Second Samuel 7, 9. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived in the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. You know, wherever David went, he had victory. We can walk in continual victory in Christ. And God made David's name great. God made him a great man on the earth. It was the Lord that did that, not his own efforts. And then did we read uh, 11 and 13? Um, I read part of 11. You can drop down. Okay. Um, He is... Thirteen. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. His royal throne forever. And whose throne is that? That's Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus came through the royal line of David, of the tribe of Judah. (laughs) Jesus would establish this kingdom promised to David forever. In 2 Peter 1.11, we read about this. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. The everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So what made David's tabernacle so special? First off, it wasn't much to speak of, as we mentioned. It's this makeshift tent with poles and the ark sat beneath it. What a contrast between David's tabernacle and Solomon's ornate, palatial, elegant, and extravagant temple. You know, by the way, though, and, and you know, David's tabernacle was outwardly lacking in beauty, style, flair, and elegance. <laughs> it was not an architectural masterpiece, as you, if you will. As was Solomon's temple, though. Do you know who was the architect for Solomon's temple? David. David. He wrote the blueprints. He's the one that wanted to build that ornate palatial structure. But 
The prophet said, David, you can't do it. Your hands are bloody through war. It'll be your son Solomon who will come through Bathsheba. And there uh, I will build that. T- you will, he will build that beautiful temple. And by the way, in that beautiful temple, the glory of the Lord appeared in Solomon's temple. Now later, Solomon departed from the Lord, sadly. He had all these wives and concubines, 1,000. Enough is enough. And uh, they turned his heart away from the Lord, Solomon. And at the end of his life, he departed from the Lord. How sad is that? David never turned from the Lord. His heart was always steadfast with the Lord. You say, you say but David committed adultery. David committed murder. Yeah, he did. Paid a price for that. But he was a man after God's own heart. We all make mistakes, guys. We all fall. We all sin. But we got to confess our sins and get back up and keep going in the way that God's called us to go, right? And uh, that tabernacle, as I mentioned, Solomon's temple, was filled with the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, just like David's was. And uh, this new tabernacle, David's tabernacle, is going to be restored. And it will give birth to a great anointing and rejoicing of the Holy Spirit. And they'll be dancing in loud-sounding instruments. I've told you, I predict there's going to be this, a rock sound that's going to come on the church in this last great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the sound of drums is going to be predominant. <laughs> the drum kit's got to go up front. Uh, and it's going to be a loud rock sound of worship and praise unto God. And so all you rock musicians, get ready. Start say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Give me anointed songs. You guys are going to write new songs. Mm-hmm new songs before the Lord, they're going to lift up the high praises of God. And it's going to set forth dancing and worship in the church like it's never been experienced in the church since the days of old. David's temple is going to be restored. Hallelujah. Uh, let's look at it in Acts 15, 16, and 17. Afterward, I will return and restore, restore the fallen house of David, and I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. Why will God restore the tabernacle of David? For one purpose and one purpose alone. We just read it. So that people would come from all around the world and seek the Lord. Amen? And that's the purpose of the restoration of David's tabernacle is people were called to worship the Lord. You won't have to be begged. People won't have to beg you to go to church. You'll get over there. You'll say, forget Monday night football. I'm going, man. And the churches will be open 24-7 all the time. And people will be worshiping and praising God on a continual basis. We won't have time for all this worldly stuff. We'll want to be in the presence of the Lord and experience his power and grace and blessing in our life. There's going to be a restoration of all things. Spiritual and holy will come back in this last great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, when's that going to happen? Soon, very soon, upon humanity. And an intense joy, gladness, and peace will emanate in this move of God with great, now listen to this, supernatural power of miracles and signs and wonders. We're going to see the miraculous come forth like we've never seen before. We're going to see limbs grow out. We're going to see blind eyes open up. The deaf will hear. And I'm going to step out and say, I believe we're going to see people raised from the dead. That would be awesome. Amen? Praise God. Before the coming of the Lord. Are you hungry and thirsty for God? Come to the living water and drink. For out of your innermost being, Jesus was said, would flow rivers of living water. Well, blessings. And as I mentioned, Merry Christmas. 
We love you guys. Uh, we're so grateful for your uh, faithfulness of the watch and to listen and hear the word of God. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week. Well, thank you for receiving the word, and I hope you are blessed. You can find out more about Pastor Scott Huffman and Lighthouse Church by visiting lnlighthouse.org. We'll see you next time. Hey.